Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 229, for the 27th of January, 2016. I'm Chester Wisniewski, uh, back with my friend Paul Ducklin. Hey, Paul. Hello, Chester. Uh, welcome back to you. You were off color last week. John very kindly stepped in at the last minute. I'm glad you're back in fighting form. There's no rest for the wick. I got plenty of work to do. And in fact, some of the work I'm doing even relates to this week's stories, which I was going to kick off by uh, bringing up the story that we had on Naked Security about the Internet of Things talk at the Privacy Con conference, which was a event put on by the United States Federal Trade Commission or the USFTC. Kind of some interesting findings. These guys just got a bunch of IoT devices and kind of had at it, right? Yes. Uh, Firstly, I think it's great to see a consumer watchdog including material like this in a conference about privacy. Great way of getting people together to discuss, you know, where are we going in the next few years with all these talking wireless Barbie dolls. Uh, and as you say, a great way of doing the research instead of opening up the devices and pulling out the chips and decompiling the firmware. As you say, they just took some popular, commonly used Internet of Things devices, let them go and saw what happened. And it was uh, too okay for not so hot, if uh, memory serves. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think some of us are pretty cynical about these devices. So it was nice to see some of them, uh, you know, having reasonable security. In fact, uh, I, as I've suspected for a while, the, the Nest device that was tested, I believe they had a Nest thermostat fared quite well and they they did find some some issues uh, for example it, it seemed to leak your postal code when retrieving um, the weather forecast and that type of thing but overall i guess you know it was reasonably secure and and google which now owns nest seemed to be very responsive to the feedback from the researchers i think you could argue that hey if you're asking for the weather and you know anyone sniffing your traffic probably has a vague idea where you are anyway and the weather comes back and the weather's unencrypted and your us zip code your five digit zip code is in there maybe that's not saying an awful lot about you but even so that information doesn't need to be in the packet it doesn't need to be unencrypted so even though it may be considered a minor privacy slip up compared to giving your street address for example well done that Google and Nest went back and fixed it apparently quite quickly. Yeah, I think we underestimate how important the security of these devices can be, though. Uh, you know, I, I, I think people look at things like a thermostat and go, well, you know, all right, somebody hacks it. So what? They play a prank on me and they, you know, turn on the air conditioning in the wintertime. And I could see someone thinking might be funny. But there's a lot more on the line with these devices often. And, you know, I, I, I've got some friends that work for the local power authority and, you know, they're concerned about things like, well, if that thermostat's hackable, what if somebody turns 10,000 of them on at the same second and takes down the power grid because of the load induced? You have to think beyond just, oh, this thing only turns my lights on and off or this thing is only a camera that I use to watch the birds out on the porch. Um, there can be other implications to the security of these devices. So I think it's really important that they are scrutinized. I did laugh at the idea of the suits both sides security camera they analyzed, where apparently all the traffic used HTTP. So it's fantastic because at the same time that you're keeping an eye on the crooks, the crooks can keep an eye on you because it's all open. What a fantastic idea for a security camera. Yeah, and, and well, and I guess that segues nicely into the story about Shodan now starting to show people's insecure video 
cameras. Uh, I guess I shouldn't say necessarily show the cameras. I guess it, it shows like a, a, is it a still? It's like a screenshot or a capture of uh, in time of cameras that it's found on the internet? If they see that, for example, you're running the what's it, real-time streaming protocol and there's no protection, in other words, they don't get a login screen, they actually get some data, then they'll take a screenshot, which is, I guess, their idea of being similar to taking an SMTP banner or the HTTP identifiers or cookies that come back when connecting to port 80. So I suppose it's legal, at least in some jurisdictions, if the thing's just openly there on the internet. Not sure what a great idea it is to take the photos. Yeah, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't really see the point in um, making it easier to see people's private cameras like this. I mean, I, I, I get that some of them are amusing and things, but I, I, it's, it's kind of one step too far, it seems. But I guess if it's not criminal uh, or if it's not illegal in the jurisdiction where Shodan's operating, I guess they can do it. But it, it does kind of ask what the purpose is. Yes, I kind of wish they hadn't done the image thing, but I guess you can make a counter-argument to say how else to make the point. You could argue that the chance of you revealing something super private with just an individual snapshot is kind of low, but if you do give an idea of the sorts of things that people are leaving out visible to the public... I mean, Ars Technica wrote an article about this, and they'd obviously gone looking, and they they have a list that includes marijuana plantations, back rooms in banks, children, kitchens, living rooms, garages, front gardens, back gardens, ski slopes, swimming pools, colleges, schools, laboratories, and cash register cameras in retail stores. In that sense, it does make the point that this really matters, because a crook who knows those things are there can keep coming back again and again and again and could do so entirely automatically. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we'll we'll keep an eye on this story as it develops, see, see if there's any uh, change in policy on the Shodan site. Now, I, I mentioned in the first podcast of January that I was a little disappointed that I hadn't received my Android update, my monthly Android update for my official Nexus Android device. Hey, it's not the end of the month yet, Chester. Well, no, I noticed as I was editing that podcast that I actually received the update between recording it and actually editing it. So my apologies to, uh, to Google. I, I actually did receive it reasonably quickly from my carrier. But it looks like I'll be anxiously awaiting not the February update now, but the March update. Um, what's that all about? There's a new elevation of privilege bug found by a uh, cybersecurity company in Israel. They've got Google's backup because they're claiming that, hey, this should affect about 66% of Android devices. So that sounds very worrying when you think of the sheer number of Android devices out there. Google have come back and said, oh, well, it's not that bad. We really don't think it's 66%. Unfortunately, the reason is that newer Android devices ought to be protected, probably, uh, because of SE Linux, Security Enhanced Linux settings, and Older Androids should be immune because they don't have the buggy version of the Linux kernel yet. So unfortunately, it seems that at least some of the defenses that reduces the risk to Android users is caused by that fragmentation of the ecosystem. And as you were lamenting last time, that's a bit of a double-edged sword because it also means that some people may well end up waiting a lot longer than others before they get the fix. Well, yeah, and I think that's the bigger concern for most Android users is simply getting those fixes, um, you know, being sure that their phone is up to date can be a real gamble. 
again, I've got my Nexus device, fingers crossed, I'll be getting this fix in March, and hopefully no one is able to determine uh, a reliable way of exploiting it and, and harming anyone in the meantime, and, and it sounds like it's all going to work out okay this time again. But each time it feels like we're dodging a bullet when it comes to, oh, uh, well, what about my Samsung this or my LG that or my HTC whatever? Yes, I, I did find it a little bit strange in Google's response. It's as though they're kind of dining out on the fact that they do have these mitigations in some versions of the operating system. In others where the mitigations are missing, it just so happens that this vulnerability doesn't work. It would be nice if all of the mitigations were available in all the su- officially supported platforms. Well, that uh, that's not going to happen anytime soon. And, and I think that it, it's certainly not helping Google's cause and in, in spreading Android, although there were some rumors about the amount of money Google's made on Android that was leaked from a lawsuit with Oracle. And it doesn't seem to be hurting Google all that much. If, if the numbers are even close to, to accurate, I think the profitability of Android hasn't suffered, to, uh, suffered from security problems. But as you say, it is still difficult for consumers where, you know, you go into a mobile phone shop, maybe they got a fantastic deal for an old school but still reasonably functional pay-as-you-go phone that you can use for calls and browsing. And then you go into settings about and you see, gosh, it's got Android 4.2 or 4.3. What does that mean? Does that mean it really is ancient history with bugs unfixed for years? Or is it the older version of the kernel with bugs fixes backported i guess google's got that diversity that is both a strength and a weakness and lastly uh these stories have a tendency to pop up every once in a while the the don't click this link uh or or it may crash your browser problem oh dear i hate it when we have to write those stories but i also love it it's the it's the barbara streisand effect isn't it hey guys there's this link that you really 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 should not share with your buddies no matter how funny you think it is because it will cause safari to use 23 and a quarter gigabytes of ram and their system will slow down to a crawl and they'll probably end up rebooting and losing some work don't get people to click it and go ha 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 gotcha because we face enough cyber enemies as it is so don't be the kind of person of which your buddies say hey with friends like that who needs enemies but it's a very, very short bit of JavaScript. My understanding is it affects Safari. I've, I've heard it affects Chrome as well. Firefox seems to detect that the script is running too long and offers to kill it. Basically, it's kind of like what you'd see in a heap spray where you just generate huge amounts of memory in the hope that you can actually then use that with some shell code to get remote code execution, except there's no such intention in this case of doing that. What you do is you simply fill the browser history list with a 100,000 URLs that you didn't visit. They're just there in the history list. And the first one is one byte long, the URL. The second one is two, then three, then four, and so on and so on, until eventually you've got this multiple gigabytes of text strings allocated and stuffed in the history list. Just don't make your friends suffer because of it, please. In other words, don't go to crashsafari.com. Oh dear, I said it. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I guess the the bright side of this one is that at least it's not a worm that spreads. I mean, I've seen things that uh, attacked certain Twitter clients in the past that sort of would send out a tweet that exploited a bug that then spread on its own. And I think, you know, more than 10 years ago now, there was a, a famous MySpace exploit that 
similarly like you know posted to your wall or added friends or did something that you know was a, a worm-like behavior that, <laughs> sammy is my hero that one <laughs> yeah yeah exactly Sam, sammy kamkar exactly so at least in this case the you know the price you pay for curiosity of clicking the link that you're told not to click is to simply take down your own web browser your own pc but yeah it is it is kind of i don't know it just feels kind of childish to me that uh, we're we're back at this point again i mean there's there's no good easy way to defend against it i don't know why we we have a tendency to get so fascinated I, I, at least i guess i had the right reaction when i saw it the opposite of the streisand effect which is as soon as i saw something on twitter that referenced it i went oh yeah whatever like i'm gonna ignore that because i just don't need more drama in my life yes and apparently loads of people of course are now sending it around using various url shortness so it's not obvious that it's crash safari.com as i said before don't be the kind of person of whom your buddies say with friends like that who needs enemies. There are plenty of cyber crooks, state-sponsored actors, people who've got our worst interests at heart online without putting our chums in harm's way because we think it might be sniggeringly funny. So uh, on that note, I guess we did start the podcast discussing privacy, so we should probably mention later this week is Data Privacy Day on January 28th, and we will have uh, some great content on nakedsecurity.sophos.com to, I guess, celebrate or raise awareness about uh, people's privacy on Data Privacy Day, and we encourage all of you to take part in that. And uh, we also want to uh, invite all of you to come visit us at the RSA conference. If you're going to be in RSA in San Francisco at the very tail end of February, but actually mostly the first week of March, please stop by and say hello at the Sofo stand. I'll, I'll be there along with many of our colleagues to, uh, to greet and chat with everyone. And we'll be doing presentations, talking about things like privacy and Internet of Things security and all sorts of other great stuff at our, uh, at our stand at RSA. And also want to remind everyone that uh, our antivirus is free now for, for non-commercial use, for home use. So we invite you to not only uh, take advantage of that yourself, but certainly raise awareness with your friends and neighbors and others that uh, they can get free antivirus and web filtering if they like over at home.sophos.com. So if you look after IT in a shared house or if you have kids that you want to keep safe online, great free tool. Yeah, I think I think it's fair to think that most of our listeners probably have multiple computers and being able to have one place to manage them and look after them is a, a very good, a very nice convenience to have. Uh, and I will conclude Sofa Security Chat Chat 229. As always, for uh, all of our podcasts, you can get them over on iTunes. You can get them on our RSS feed. You can get them on TuneIn, uh, anywhere you find fine podcasts, and also at soundcloud.com slash Sofa security. And until next time, stay secure.